0: Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favorite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report.
1: Welcome to the Market Report, What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report, week commencing 29th of July 2019. Yeah, we're full flow. Again this week we're going to have lots of noise outside uh, as the Weybridge is getting tractors and trailers and lorries passing over it at a regular pace, which is obviously very pleasing for a storekeeper. So we'll start with... um, some good advice that we've been giving you, which is the oilseed rape. It's creeping up, as predicted. So 320 is the harvest value. It looks to remain firm. I think we originally had a target of 330 for harvest. Uh, obviously, if it gets to that, we're going to be pushing the button to uh, get people to trade. So, yeah, all, all is well. The first yields are coming in are disappointing as predicted but it's a little bit of a mixed bag because there's one or two people saying that actually they've got a half decent yield so I kind of still the jury's out a little bit but um, the problem yet again this year with the heat wave has been that the stuff is too dry and obviously when it it gets a claim on if it gets below six percent moisture so people have stopped combining with a view to going back into it perhaps at 3 o'clock in the morning when they get back from the pub. The point is, as I record this, we've now turned into a, you know a very a heavy thunderstorm night last night. And this morning, as I walked across to record this, the rain was gently falling down and it's 24 degrees. So very, very humid. And we'll come on to that in a minute with the malting barley. But anyway, the price is gradually creeping upwards. Feed barley has been trading happily at 120. And I think if you go back over again over our podcast, we've been talking about that value for a very long period of time. It's now, if you really need to move it and you're just cutting it and you've done nothing about it, it's easing off a bit. There is some, a little bit of genuine harvest pressure. The yields have been good. There's a bit more about than people thought. Although there's several cargoes piling out of the uh, East Coast ports, there is still a bit of pressure creeping into the X-farm price because movement is becoming difficult. So I would, I would value feed barley somewhere in the 115 to 118x mark at this moment. There are a lot of boats uh, due, and I think once the pressure of harvest is off, we'll probably creep back up to the 120 mark, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. Depends how much keeps coming forward. Malting barley... We're well on with our intake and our various stores are open 7 till 7 and Saturdays and we encourage people to pile in with as much of it as they can, as quick as they can, because getting that stuff out of the way means the stores are empty, ready for the next crop and you never know what's around the corner and and you you don't want to be held up. And I think that's probably some of the secret of our success. I mean, our corporate opposition, if you like, generally shuts sometime around about 3 o'clock and aren't open all the time. And I think the convenience of that is is something that's that's worth uh, a lot to farmers. So if you're prepared to get a little bit grubby, uh, you can actually provide a service that is worthwhile in this industry. And I think that farmers in the end get to a point in harvest where they, logistics actually outmanoeuvre price a lot of the time. So as long as you're prepared to get your fingernails grubby, then there is a place for you. The price, it crept up a little on the winters. There was some demand for low nitrogen winters, which pushed the price to 140x. It's kind of happily around there at this moment, but I would say, again, the movement issue is now becoming um, more important. If you really need it to move, I'm afraid the price is going to creep back down again now. So I think we'll go back down to 35x for immediate movement stuff if yours hasn't already gone. I mean, in our case, 80% of ours has moved and uh, we're steaming into getting the rest of it out of the way as quick as we can. Moving back into that humidity thing, as I said, uh, you know, this morning is, is pretty warm and, and, and moist and tomorrow looks the same and Sunday looks the same again. So on, as you're listening to this on a Monday morning, I'm extremely nervous as a storekeeper about anything that's out in the field that's fit that is malting barley. I, I think this is the perfect recipe for splits and or potentially pre-germ, depending on what the weather does next week and how quickly you can get on with it is is another question. But hopefully the springs aren't yet ripe enough to be affected that would be really good news and with most of the winter barley cut that shouldn't affect that either so I'll be optimistic if there is winter barley out in the field still to be cut I think we will be looking very closely at that as will everybody else um, because if it has been down to 11 or 12 percent moisture with this incredible heat and it then gets this kind of perfect um, humidity I'm afraid I think the little Barley seed will struggle not to spit open and, and wave a white flag and die. So a little bit nervous about some of the later deliveries that are going to come after this uh, this weekend's humidity. General market chat. Boris as prime minister what's the pound going to do it's had a it's had a boris bounce and now it's having a a boris slide back down again he's talking very very candidly about getting out on the 31st of october fine we we can't really second guess how the world's going to react to us there is export up until the end of october at the moment and the feed barley as we've said earlier has traded Feed wheat. There's some cargoes that have gone on, and some of the bigger companies in house will be able to do some trades. There's not enough been done to hit the surplus. You know, moving on to wheat. Wheat prices they're static. They're completely sitting there still. So 140x for November, 39.40x somewhere in that region. Anecdotal evidence of the first cut wheats from Essex that we've heard of are very good yields. Now, I don't want to one swallow doesn't make a summer, but I think that the yields of wheat are going to be good we've said that before not maybe not completely barn busting but good and I think that will put some pressure on our market possibly the quantity looks like it's going to be hefty so with that in mind it's I'm I'm very nervous about price from a logistics and physical perspective the world can't seem to make its mind up on which way it wants to go there's issues there's crops being reduced in size all over the world at the same time that we're in harvest and I, I just I, I blow hot and cold on whether it's going to go up or go down in the next week, let alone the next month. I think long term view I'm pessimistic due to our export prospects in the UK. But is the world going to have a dramatic rally through the corn problem? Yes, I think it will sometime in October. But in between now and then will harvest have an impact? And I was expecting the French harvest to impact this week with the heat and all of the wheat getting cut, but it just seems to have actually, if anything, just gone sideways or slightly firmer. So I don't know, maybe there's there's more trouble out there than we know. It certainly isn't collapsing yet. So my prediction on that one is I don't know the next seven days, I'm afraid. I don't see it ramping up. I don't see wheat getting cut in the UK in earnest for a while. So we aren't going to know anything for another couple of weeks. So sorry to be so indecisive on that one. Enjoy another hopefully good Harvest Week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Harvest
0: 2019 is here. Give your grain a better chance of making the grade. Dewing Grain, for immediate movement and fair treatment. And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: This morning I've got with me Jason Borthwick. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. And um, I've discovered something about you this morning. You work and your farm is on one of the most beautiful coasts in the world.
2: That is a very true statement. Yes, we love that part of the world. And yet you've chosen to live in Aylsham. Yep, even being a farmer on the North Norfolk coast does not allow you the opportunity to uh, uh, find a sensibly family-sized house <laughs> that is affordable in that part of the world. That is incredible. I mean, obviously, I understand your choice of Aylsham because this is where GCHQ is for, for doing grain. But It's a lovely town and it's it just gives a good, really good uh, you know, centre for... We're very Norwich-centric in terms of our social life and stuff, so it works very well for us. And it's far enough away not to worry about the everyday sort of uh, firefighting. Well, that's the point.
1: It's it's a, it's a 40-odd, 45-minute trip, isn't it? And, and that's quite a distance. Most farmers are, are right on top of what they do inside their four
2: edges. That is very true. And it's really nice not um, looking out the window and then worrying about all the minutiae. Um, I c- I've got time to think and space to think out here. Yeah, I get that. So tell me... About the farming bit, what's what's what happens at home? What, what have you got? What do you do? So we farm 1,000 acres, about 650 is ours and about 350 from Holcomb. Um, and then we've got about 45 acres of woodland. And um, it's all the basic crops, you know, so the malting barley and the milling wheat and um, potatoes, carrots, a bit of maize, occasionally sugar beet, depending on um, British sugar wanting to have it or not. And then uh, the odd sort of mix, uh, parsnips and um, beans and that kind of thing. Okay, and the and the land type is pretty. We've got sort of really three types because we've got the heavy, really heavy land down at the front with on the reclaimed marshland mm-hmm. um, on the north side of the farm inside the sea wall, which was the bit that was flooded back in 2000, 2013 when um, the sea surge happened. Does that not affect the saline influence? It, it did for the first sort of year, a year and a half. Originally, we thought it would take a good three years, but actually, um, it was a lot quicker than we expected. But it's very heavy soil, so it's it can be. Quite exciting for all the wrong reasons. If a perfect year, you can get amazing yields. Um, the wrong year, yeah, you're just pulling out tractors left, right and centre. Perfect year then. Yeah. We'll at the moment. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see. The weather forecast for the next couple of weeks could be interesting, but we'll see what happens. Well, you, you, the, you haven't started harvest. You've had no winter barley, so no. I guess the spring barley must be getting close. Yeah, we're not we're not far away. We thought we might start next week, so I guess it'll just depend on, the, um, on how the weather throws at us in the well, next week or so. The forecast is depends who you It's best to watch one that tells you what you want to hear yeah isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we've learned that from our events that's the much the much the best way is that you see a weather forecast you like and then just stick with it i'm dreading the
1: effect of this humid weather on the on the barley. up to now everything's been great the winter barley's at sound but if it's going to stay wet, wet for two weeks I, i'm going to be very worried as a storekeeper yes yeah i think it's gonna be interesting so there, you have you got this farm, and it's a, there's a, there's a life for you ahead, and and you decided to diversify. You went in another direction. So talk me through what you have done. Cause it's pretty pretty. Well, expensive. to start
2: with, the farm really was a diversification from business in London when it first started with my great grandfather, mm-hmm. and uh, and has been that way for a couple of generations. Dad was the first one sort of to properly permanently live in the village, and he. Had diversified quite a lot, my grandfather diversified quite a lot. So I just sort of continued with that. And I would not describe myself as a farmer. I'm definitely someone who's more interested in the diversification. Although that, having said that, as I'm moving towards my 50th, I'm definitely finding I'm more and more interested in the um, in the farming aspect of it, but more as a six hundred and fifty acre farm of what what do we do with that and where do we take it? But the diversification has been wide. So I always describe it as we're farm tourists rather than farming crops. We're in a beautiful location, yeah. but we do have the issue of the fact that half of our catchment area and we can't really grow because of the the size of our neighbours so therefore we've had to find alternative ways to make a farm of that size pay for itself as machinery's got bigger we've gone down the route of backpackers hostel campsite groups hostel tourist information center shops cafe supermarket and lots of big events that sounded like so
1: little in just one sentence (laughs) (laughs) there's about 16 podcasts (laughs) there Which one do we start with supermarket
2: well the, the um the, the shops and cafe are run as Delgate Market and so we don't run those individually. so we're landlords to a group of independent businesses and then the backpackers hostel and campsite and stuff is run as a, another company which um, I'm MD of and then um, my business partner Chris is the sort of operations director of and he runs that side of things. Okay. So those kind of you know they are sort of separate businesses even though they're they're interrelated to with what we do. You, you mentioned that that uh, you, you know people can't afford houses in that part of the world, which is really
0: strange.
1: It's Chelsea on
2: sea, isn't it? Yeah. So, so your clientele are they all incredibly South London, or uh, do you get no? We are we are the budget end of the market, which is uh, completely different to the to the rest okay. of the thing. So we are sort of retired couples with a motorhome, people coming up to do kite surfing and wanting a bed, f- you know, in a dorm, just a bed, you know, just literally, you know, uh, just a bed for sort of fifteen twenty pounds a night. See, that's, see that so, really is that that's the unique in that corner isn't it yeah so they yeah.
1: can come up there 15 20 pounds you know and and that and they've got the basics
2: yeah exactly they've got a bed they've got a place to uh, use the facilities they've got a kitchen to make their lunch in or their breakfast or whatever and they've got a sitting room to sit and chat with other people staying so you know it's the basis of of the type of traveling i've done the you know mm. the sort of hosteling accommodation that I've lived in for a lot of my travels and I knew that there was a market that was completely untapped on the North Norfolk Has coast. anyone else done that? Well the YHA have got a couple of YHAs and we, we get on very well with the, uh, the guys that run those but actually no Norfolk is distinctly lacking the east of England to be honest is distinctly lacking in uh, backpackers hostels and campsites if you go to Cornwall every village every town has a backpackers hostel or ma- or many of them Newquay's got something like 25 or 30 um, yeah, well, That's very much uh, Everyone goes to learn to surf. Yeah, it's interesting because we, we Norfolk hasn't been very good at promoting that aspect of it. And right. although we don't have massive surf, we do have the kayaking and the paddle boarding and the it's pretty uh, hefty surf yeah but you, we, 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 you know if you, if you talk to the the surfers in uh, in Cornwall they kind of they look at it very thin but the kite surfers and the wind surfers and the kayakers and paddle boarders and stuff absolutely love the North Norfolk coast and we just haven't quite linked up with that whole um sort of surfy culture but that's kind of what we do you know that that is Deepdale and it and it fits really well if you go to somewhere like Newquay, the vast majority of people who go and stay in Newquay, they stay because of the surf culture, but actually they don't go anywhere near a surfboard. It, it's that sort of sense of um, yeah, uh, osmosis, you know, sort of, you know, I'm a surfer by because I stay in the same hostel as somebody who surfs. Yeah, lemon juice in your hair. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. Got your, your wax for your board yeah, and all that oh, sort of stuff. Yeah. At the moment, it's families, isn't it? Coming yeah. down to, to Norfolk for holidays. Well, actually, it's interesting because people assume that our market is families, but it's only families for about six or eight weeks a year. Okay, so it's August and it's the bank holidays and the rest of the time actually it's um it's the grey pound the semi-retired it's the people who can just escape at any time of the year and want to come up here and do activities and be active you know they want to walk they want to cycle uh, they want to bird watch uh, they want to go out paddle boarding whatever it happens to be and they stay with us all year round and they're a much more important market to us than the families actually you know and yeah. very very welcoming no, but- families but but actually it's the um it's the couples and the um and the individuals that come all the way through the year that are 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 the key to us you know the campsite and the hostel are open all year round and new year's eve we had 45 motorhomes with us you know so it's a massive impact on um on the on the pubs and the restaurants and the um and the local shops you've diversified you get people to come in you raise your profile you've gone into into music and talk talk me through that we've always done events uh, so our christmas market for example sort of you know so sort of 15 to 20,000 people come to see us over 3 days and we support about 140 150 local producers with that one and we now have the spring market as well and the same weekend we have our our huga um, which is all about walking and cycling and a bit of like music huga Ho- is it's a danish word for essentially it's kind of finding your inner happiness hig it's, yeah, I, hugger, I, uh, My wife bought a book on it, and I read about four pages. Um,
1: I, I want to bring that subject up in a minute when Webby comes up because he's so hugger.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's so isn't. Anyway, we'll, we'll we'll test him on that in a minute.
1: You have a festival coming up. We
2: do, yeah. So our big, our big music event of the year is the is the festival, which happens at the end of September. So again, it's about a season event. We have about thirty five uh, to forty acts um, over uh, three days. Are they all um, local, or are they, they're yeah? a real mixture? So we've um, we really heavily support the sort of the local East of England uh, music scene. Morgan Ware head, headlining on the Friday, and they're um, a local uh, Norwich based band. I'm sure, on the basis of. of You know, we've done a bit of research on what you've
1: done on last year's festival. You know, it's obviously very popular and it's obviously very, very happening. I I could start singing and see if I could get an act there. No, I won't. So with, with, you know, all of this diversification, music, all of these things that are kind of alien to to the the farming world, what else can you do? I mean, you you mentioned your 650-acre plot what do you mean by that? Is it,
2: have you got other ideas? Well, I'm as I said, I'm, I'm not a farmer. Um, so I look at it as... I, the farming has been massively important. We wouldn't be able to do any of the diversification without the farming. So I don't want to get rid of farming. And I have a real passion that farmland should stay as farmland because we can't feed ourselves. But we need to think carefully about how we work that on a 650-acre farm because we're just not big enough to be... traditional farm so what do we do and so this is where we're beginning now to sort of think about things like agroforestry and the like we'll slightly have to be led by whatever the agricultural policy brings us now there's um, an exciting new world yes that's going to be interesting because it may be very similar to the, the green paper that we've, uh, we've all seen which doesn't mention food production once <laughs> uh, or it may be completely different now but we'll just have to wait and see but I, I'm sort of hoping that the um, conservation is the way that it goes because that will be brilliant opportunity for us you know at Deepdale with 45 acres of woodland we've got the opportunity then to sort of take that and really make something work and then to um, go down the agroforestry route and do something really interesting and, and, agroforestry is, is trees crops trees crops yeah. and strips effectively yeah and um it's something that is being talked about quite a lot but there's very little proper information uh, woodland trust are beginning to really embrace it and quite a few of the um Could kind of uh, do some other pioneers to to take a bit of a dive a few times get it wrong and then that would be lovely I'm go, also right, quite excited about the idea of being a, a sort of early adopter that doesn't doesn't fill me with dread, um, so it could give you a bit of fame, couldn't it? it could give you a bit of prominence, and it fits really well with the environmental aspect of our tourism facilities. You know, so there's a lot of logic there, and we could, you know, we could build in walks and hides, and you know, all sorts of other things. So there's really good opportunities for us, and amazing views. You know, we, we are lucky; we do have a hill overlooking the coast. Mm. Uh, just for the record, I'm incredibly keen that food is still produced because I manage
1: several grain stores and I am a grain trader. <laughs> 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 so hopefully, you lot will continue doing something with uh, with cereals, right? I think I can hear Webby coming. Right, Ian. Ian is with us, um, and we've now he's brought with him some um, Humberdusy Kingslayer. Now we are very interested in Humberdusy as a brewing company because we've bought some shares in it, haven't we?
3: Yeah, we have. It's quite a cool little thing to be part of, and it's one of our non-exec directors came with his son, John, and uh, yeah, it's cool. It's, I really like the way it's branded. We love it, being shareholders, and actually, I tried some yesterday, it tastes really nice. Yeah, taste is quite important. Yeah, you'd like to think so. <laughs> no, they do really, not, I mean, it sounds like we're selling this, being shareholders, so uh, go out and buy as much as you can, guys, but the, uh, they do a great parallel as well, not the one that we're trying, but... Yeah, I mean, this this is, um,
1: I'll put too much head on, you have to give it a minute, chaps. Yeah, John John Riddell is the is the main man, and his junior partner is Alan, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> So no, we, this is the beer we will be having at the Alsham Show. We've got two two uh, kegs of it coming up. So all of you Alsham Show fans, we'd like you to come along and taste this lovely
2: stuff. So I need to persuade my wife oh, to drive that. And I've put the uh, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah absolutely yeah. So you come to the Alsham Show. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, we're we're members.
1: Well, well you need to come into our stand. Well, th- clearly, clearly, so, you, uh, we've got a secret. We've got a secret recipe at the Alsham Show which is free beer and free pork pies, and we get loads of farmers. Funny that, I can't <laughs> imagine why, that seems so strange. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm going to just, we, we we were talking a little while ago about hug, 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 huger. hug, huger, huger. Huger. I'd like you to enlighten Ian, who probably is naturally one of the best huggers there is, so just, here you go, just
3: talking through hugger.
2: Right. So, do you have any idea what the concept is?
3: No, I was going to say that's something that my missus is after me uh, doing every now and again in the evening, but... um I'm not the most affectionate lad, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> that might be part of it. It's about it's about inner happiness,
2: basically, and okay. so it's finding your what makes you happy in a particular place so your North Norfolk coast huga okay. would be very different to your London huga if that makes sense so when you come to the North Norfolk coast it might be walking sitting by a fire in a pub enjoying okay. good food yeah. it might be you know standing on a beach you know watching the sand blowing around your feet in the middle of winter it might be avoiding all of that, just and finding that and happy place exactly okay. and so of course if you're if you're based in London mm. your your huga there will be quite different because it'll probably be yeah, okay. going to an art gallery or you know going to a, finding good pubs or a good place to watch football or whatever it happens and to be what are
3: the origins of hygge then? Hygge is... So
2: it's a Danish word, okay. and it's a, one of those sort of Danish words that means everything to a Danish person, but takes about, well, two or three books to explain in, in English, if that okay. makes sense. So the Danish know exactly. But essentially, inner happiness is, is your version. I'm trying to think, what's my, what's my hygge? The beer.
1: There's, there's a
3: start with That must got to be, you know, cutting the green at Albra, ready for the cricket match. I've got to say this is a little bit sad, but harvest is slightly my hygge. Yeah, I I,
2: I remember a farmer saying to me that it was it was the long hours of harvest and the kind of the joy of getting the grain in that 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 made the entire twelve months worthwhile.
1: Without a doubt, I believe a farmer's greatest moment of reward is not the cash in the bank; it is the trailer full of really good, healthy, perfect grain. Mm. It's a sign of success. They've done something
2: really well, and there it is, bountifully, you know, in, 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 golden coloured uh, to boot. Yeah, there's something very special about the, the, the mounds of grain in a, in a barn, isn't there? It's the colours and the movement of it, and, yeah, and everything. And it's very they, special. They grew it. You, you grew it. You're the people who actually achieved
1: that. And it's it's like it's like little pots of gold. It's like finding a mountain full of treasure, isn't it? It's. I mean, I'm sorry, you think this is really sad. I'm quite certain, but but I am. I've seen many many farmers glowing with pride as they bring their samples in. They know it's good. They know it's yielded well. And it's it's a it's a tick. I did that properly. Yeah.
2: Definitely,
3: definitely. The the huger things just made me think. Andrew, you're a big fan of NLP, and one of the things I was listening—that's a bit of a sad git—but started listening to the NLP tapes, and they talk about you think of your sad git, yeah, sad <laughs> git, yeah. Think about your happy place, and it is like your huger. So, what is the image if you've got an issue or you need to kind of lift yourself? You like you have that image, that mental image to go back to, yeah, which is yeah kind of the same thing I'm still trying to work out what is my hygge what is my happy place
2: you see the, the reason we do what we do for our event for that is that we give people a, a heap of different ideas and um, and connect them with a heap of different organisations. And then they can pick and choose the bits that make their own happiness. So if they come on a guided walk with me and decide that that's the worst thing in, in history, then that's fine. They they tick something off the list as something not to add to their hookah. If they go and do a cycle ride with Chris and think that's fantastic, then brilliant. You know. And so this is about introducing them to this wonderful part of the world and then they can pick and choose what makes them, makes them happy. So what's your hooker? I have to say, standing on a beach late evening with my uh, feet in the water just is glorious, and if it if I can be brave enough just to dive in, it's just fantastic. That is a, it's such a thing. But I love my running as well. It's a great way of kind of de-stressing and getting away from the carnage of uh, BT and, and and all sorts of other joyous issues that come up. Actually, I, I the, one of my favourite ones is the Boxing Day dip in Chroma. Oh, man. It's just the best the best feeling it yeah. is the coldest thing you'll ever do, but yeah. my God, it's fantastic fun oh, and the camaraderie
3: on the beach is just awesome, yeah, isn't it? Am I right thinking it's Blakeney week this week is it is there the um the traditional slippery pole i I hope so because that
2: always that was always my favorite part of any harbor day
3: quite good fun actually I've yeah. seen a few. I haven't been for several years but I remember it's quite a laugh and it's yeah. and Blakeney comes alive for the day it's uh, yeah there's no it, it, I
2: never quite worked out how health and safety allows it happening but it is really it is wonderful it's great people
3: coming out black with the uh, yeah the crap around the side but yeah look, look this is Norfolk health and safety drug, exactly Greece, exactly
1: pole beer everything perfect yeah perfect hug yeah exactly, exactly. Jason thank you very much for coming along thank and educating been a our, thank man, you. our man Webster on how he can find his inner peace
2: <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me cheers
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dewin Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewingrain.com. Dot co. UK, or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.